we are going to now switch over to gears. So I had asked for a lot of mailbag questions here, basically. Is this the love line portion? Is that what that is? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm a burn player. He plays he plays Bogles. How do we make it work? Yeah. I got you. Yeah, yeah. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Goblin Lore. This episode is the second of a two-part series where we discuss tilt and emotions in Magic the Gathering with Aaron Campbell of Magic Mike's. For this episode, we solicited questions from our Twitter followers to ask Aaron and discuss these concepts with her as they related to playing Magic, being involved in Magic communities, in groups, and then how we can take these lessons that we learn into our own emotional processing. Erin has been an absolute delight to talk to, and she spent about three hours with us that day, even sitting through some of our technical difficulties of recording, and was an absolute treasure. So, without any further ado, let's get to the show. Fabulous, by the way, if there was like a magic love line of like, yeah, I, I always, so I always fantasize. I'm always thinking about what my next project is going to be. And I'm always thinking, and it's like for, for a while there, before I started Magic Mike's or before I started with them, I was like, I should do a series called like Sex in the MTG where it'd be like, you know, can a mid-range girl and a control guy ever make it work and just have like, you know, this, like the, the single apartment and like the magic cards in my oven, like Carrie Bradshaw and it would be fantastic and just... So, no, I actually submitted mailbag questions of what people might want us to hear about because uh, with this topic, I knew there was going to be a lot of interest in terms of kind of what you were saying, Aaron, and that's why I wanted to split this episode into two in some ways, is we've identified now all of this to do with expression of emotion, how it's not working, how there might be differences between men and women and expectations of emotion. It obviously always leads, and I feel like a lot of our discussions not on here, but in, in general in life lead to, we can identify the problem. And then there's always the question, well, now what? Mm-hmm. So I thought by soliciting some mailbag questions and me bringing in some of the stuff that I can kind of talk about in terms of expressing emotions and maybe ways that it could be done to help with either tilt. So our first submission comes from at Kyle C. Carson. That's Cowboy Kyle him. on Twitter. I got him at Gen Con. I very rarely get salty, but I could always use more advice on pulling other people at the EDH table out of a salty behavior. So what what strategies could Kyle or any of our commander players use to help people in EDH, which is a more casual and can be a more, um, it can be a more fun and communal format sometimes than one-on-one competitive magic. What's What's a way to pull somebody out of that salt mode? So this really strikes a chord with me because I avoided Commander for a really long time because I was not able to find groups that I really enjoyed playing with. And so I I think it ultimately kind of comes up to reading the room where I really started enjoying Commander when I started playing with like-minded groups. And so I have a really great local group that I play with every couple of weeks or so. And I know how we play. I know how we like to play. I know that how we build decks. And so that impacts the decks that I bring with me when I go see them. And also it impacts the decks that I build. And so if I'm, if I find that I'm joining a new group, I like to ask a couple of questions and I bring a nice range of decks with me. I have about five or six decks. And so I kind of get a feel for like, 
okay, are we being really spiky today? Have you guys spent a lot of money on your decks? And then that allows me to kind of choose a deck to fit the group. And so I, I hate to necessarily turn it back to Kyle, because um, I know that he mentioned how to pull others out of it. But I think just being able to read the room and picking the right deck for the group where, you know, I'm thinking of building a mono white Teshar deck that I know my play group would hate. <laughs> and so I know that if I'm going to play that deck, I need to not bring that to EDH on Sunday. But if I'm going to a GP and I know that I'm playing with Magrini and some of these folks who are very spiky, I know that deck can probably rule there. So I think, it, you know, just really, really reading the room, making sure if possible that you can bring a nice mix of decks with you if you have the resources to do that. And just making sure that the, the decks you're playing kind of fall in line with the people. Get a read for what they're doing, you know, see the kind of decks they're playing, see the way they play, and just try to fall in line with that and, and um, you know, kind of tailor yourself to their experience. So that matches pretty well with my experience. I have I have a number of different decks. I have a decks that are a little more aggressive. I don't have terribly spiky, but uh, my my Kozilek deck is is pretty aggressive. You know, casting Kozilek on turn three or four is, is pretty good. Um, but I do have a, have a range of decks, and that's one thing that I like about our Minneapolis playgroup too. We have a lot of people here have uh, what we call one DH decks, so decks where every card is less than a dollar. So those tend to be a little more casual, but everyone in the group will bring both Commander and 1DH so that we can kind of change the pace of the game depending on who we're playing with. Or even the same group will just say, let's do a 1DH game to break up what we're doing to kind of mix up what's going on. And I think that could help too is in addition to, to reading the room and people's predilections, there's also sometimes just doing something different with the same group can help mm -hmm. with that too. These are the advice I would give to people, you know, to kind of try to ease in and having less salt. I think that like what Kyle's talking about, you know, I also want to address if you get into a game where somebody does have that, you know, maybe even in your own known play group. And there is a difference between if you're playing somebody at a GP, which I've done, I just kind of finish the game out and then I'm just going to politely say that I have to go, you know, and, and I'm probably not going to. And if it's happening in the middle, I might say something or just try to do it. But if it's my own playgroup, I think is where it becomes a little bit harder because I, I've seen it, you know, if, if somebody loses a bunch of games in a row, feels like they're being targeted in a game, it, it can feel uncomfortable. To pull somebody out of salt or tilt itself is very difficult to do because of that concept that we've talked about. You can't control other people or their emotions. You could do things to try to minimize you know, like I said, it's if the person feels are being targeted or teased. You might be able to do something, but when it comes down to it, you you can't in that moment when they're in that emotional state, you may not be able to fix it right then. You can give them a channel. You can give them, you know, an alternative. You can give them a way to kind of opt out of it. And I think that's kind of what we're saying here too, is as an option. So the next question that we've got here is from at Nerdy Slav on Twitter. That's John Paul Haas, and this is. There are two competing emotional states that affect my playstyle. When I'm losing or getting bad draws or generally not playing well, I get frustrated, then I further exacerbate my own mistakes, and then I also start playing much more recklessly. When I'm doing well, however, I often play too safely, so I don't ruin, in quotes, my win-loss ratio during that particular play session. I guess the question here a little bit is, how do you stop that cycle of tilt where when you start to get frustrated, you start playing worse, and then when you start playing worse, you get more frustrated? But then also, at the same time, 
how do you prevent yourself from withdrawing in, into yourself during a game when you're when you're winning when you start playing more safely so i it's actually a really good question and one i haven't really fully conquered myself um you know i mentioned earlier in the show i hate losing more than i like winning like if you ever see me celebrate a win i'm not celebrating because i won i'm celebrating because i didn't lose like that's really what it boils down to and so um i still play to this day i still play to not lose i'm not playing to win i'm playing because i don't want to lose um so that's a really um i i appreciate uh john for acknowledging that about themselves and, and identifying those behaviors um for me and, and this is just me personally i lead into it like if i've mulled to five we're mulling to four like you know we're making bad choices let's make all the bad choices and so um i that's just how i really deal with it but i think it on a serious note i think it depends on what level you're playing at so if you're playing just like an m where there's not a lot of stakes on the line really kind of just again realign those expectations be like you know what it's m we're playing for packs it's fine like you know just just really allow yourself that it's really not that bad you know um if you are at an event you know and and what is your goal for the event were you looking to top eight okay if you happen to lose this one can you still top eight okay no can you still top 16 are there still prizes there are there prizes that you're interested in i try to have a backup plan or i try to have silver lining for when things go wrong rather than going oh god i've lost i've lost everything can i still get something out of this am i still playing for a pro point and can i still get practice out of this for the next event you know try to feel like you're still taking something away from the experience other than i've screwed up and i've just lost are you having a really sweet dinner with your friends afterwards you're getting steak after this who cares if you go five and four you know <laughs> i try to that happened to me a couple weeks ago i played in a vintage challenge and i went three and three and i was like you know what i lost last round but i still get to see crazy rich asians so i'm still winning here um so i try to find just you know ways to things to take away from me from the match other than i've lost or i've made some mistakes and that way the backup plan or the silver lining makes it not feel so bad. I haven't played in a ton of GPs, but I played, I, I used to live close enough to Vegas and I also have made Vegas the every other year kind of plan for Vegas to be my goal. And I have had the goal of always wanting to day two a GP. And the first two were sealed. I prepared for them a ton and I ended up going six and three at both of them, but back when nice. that did not make day two. So mm. it was very difficult for me because like Aaron said, most of my friends had, all dropped out earlier didn't care about the main event they all went to vegas and they went out and did stuff i played till nine ten o'clock at night on those first on those two days and did not get to do anything fun mm -hmm. really so my next vegas which it helped that it was legacy i still wanted to make day two but i went in with a lot more calm attitude i was there to have fun it was my bachelor party on top of it was going to be there. I had planned stuff to do after day one. I had friends to hang out with, people to do. I got there a day early and went and did Is side Chuck E. Cheese open that late? <laughs> but I, what's <laughs> funny about this is I literally went to Vegas dressed in a shirt that said Hobbs Q. And on the back, <laughs> had a, it was a bowling shirt designed for me by Steve Raphael that said Storm Count. It had a bowling ball Bless your heart. with all the artwork from like Infernal Tutor, Dark <laughs> Ritual. I'm literally walking around advertising that I am playing Storm in a Legacy wow. JP. And I went seven and two and made day two. I went in with a different attitude based on the goal yeah. that I have and the fun that I wanted to have. Speaking a little bit to this question of that frustration and, and what to do, this is where I really wanted to get into kind of talking about the importance of being able to label emotions. We talked earlier in last cast about the fact that when I teach emotions and then I, I'm so excited and I'm standing in my living room right now like I'm a 
front of a class of people or something because this is me it my favorite i love in my job is i love teaching groups where i really get to teach about emotions um i love teaching social skills i love teaching people how to express their emotions how to cope with their emotions but even and i said this last time identify what their emotions are so you may have noticed mm -hmm. that when i was talking about emotions i was trying to avoid categories like sad angry happy because they really those reduce emotions down into categories that are actually very rich and make a huge difference so i do a lot of anger management groups too um and we talk in there about the fact that anger is not a single emotion most people think that they experience it as going from zero to 60. they go from i'm doing really well to explosion and as john was saying here he talked about noticing when he gets frustrated. Well, that's actually a pretty low level of intensity. Irritation, frustration, those though means he starts playing recklessly. He starts playing bad. That frustration now is not just frustration. Now it's getting to be anger. And now it's getting uh -huh. to be pissed off, resentment, murderous. Been there. Yeah. <laughs> anger, anger has such a variation in it. And he mentions here the frustration. If so the importance of being able to label emotions along spectrums. We talk a lot in this cast about spectrums and things existing on not as dichotomies. And emotions are important that way because what I need to do to intervene for myself if I'm feeling rageful is very different than if I'm feeling frustrated. And I think that the first step for what John's question is, is the fact that you're recognizing and learning what your signs are that you're at that emotional level. Paying attention to your body, paying attention to the physical things that you're feeling, the thoughts that are going through your head is going to be your first step to be able to then, do I need to take um, a step away from the table? Tell the judges if you're at a big event that I need to go to the bathroom, take that break, take a second to just do your deep breathing, which is something that you can do in any environment. It's once you recognize that you're doing that, you have to try to do something to change it. And at the magic table, your options are a little bit more limited. You can't go out and go for like a three mile run in the middle of a match if you're starting to feel really pissed off. You can do things like deep breathing. You can do things like trying to challenge your thinking a little bit. We have notepads that we take scores on writing down what your thought is and looking at it and saying, is this rational? Is it not? Starting to be able to recognize that is a huge thing. And on the win-loss ratio, when it comes to when you start playing well, I think it's being able to recognize, you know, recognize pride, recognize the fact that you're doing a good job. Let that kind of guide your decisions. You know, if you think that you're playing too safe, you can work on loosening up by trying out a different thing. But I would say that if you're playing well, you're probably doing something well, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. The next question comes from at ZX. <laughs> so we'll go with Mac. Um, the question is, I play with a couple people who get really upset at the slightest provocation, and when that happens, the game becomes profoundly unfun. Is there any way I can help them tilt out less often or severely? 
So I think this is a really good question. And and as I mentioned earlier in the show, a, a lot of times it has nothing to do with the other person. And so um, I, being a, a tilter myself, when I'm in a competitive event and somebody tilts on me, I let them feel the feelings. Like I know that it has nothing to do with me. They're probably upset about things they've done, you know, and especially playing the deck that I play. Like I knew when I signed up for Dredge that a lot of people didn't like Dredge and that people sometimes just hate losing to Dredge. And so I'm, I'm certainly not trying to excuse, you know, their behavior apologize for it but by telling yourself that it really has nothing to do with you it can really free yourself up from those feelings of, of of oh god what have i done or oh god this feels awful i let them feel the feelings like i will i will sign the slip i say thank you for the games and i let them have their feelings um you know i i really don't know what else to do other than um you know i, I mean it, i guess it depends on like how what competitive level you're talking about you know when you say you play with a couple people is this during play testing is this during edh i think it might depend on like what your you know what you're playing with them in but typically if i'm at a competitive event i just let them feel the feelings i know it ain't got nothing to do with me i sign my slip and i move on and um if that's something you're not able to do then just you know again getting out of there as quickly as you can if you're not if you're not feeling you know like you're able to really kind of listen to it again just get out of there you're, you're under no obligation to stay and chat with somebody after an event if you are at a competitive event and it's during play like the game isn't over with you can call a judge like that is something you need to be like judge my opponent's just not dealing with this very well and that is something that if they do go too far a judge can intervene on and possibly even give out you know some sort of penalties for so again it just depends on the setting of, of where you're playing yeah and i i've actually run into opponents like this at fnm occasionally too which isn't you know nearly as high level as gp but it's not nearly as casual as kitchen table commander and it it can be tough sometimes to sit across from somebody especially i i try to be a pretty empathetic person and i've been in those spots where having played infect right after you know, certain big cards in there were banned, uh, you know, I r kept running my head against other people's walls, basically. Like, I just kept running into a wall. And so, you know, I've, I've ha had those moments, though, where somebody, you know, I'll notice them shuffling their cards back up or, you know, putting everything away, and I'll just say, hey, by the way, your play of such and such was a really smart move. And, you know, or, or I'll say something like, I happened to draw really lucky in that game. I draw, I drew really hot or something like that. And I don't know that that's always the right move. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it is best to just let them have their feelings and let them process it in whatever way that makes sense. But I have found, I think, that being a gracious winner can also help in that situation. If you say, hey i really appreciate the way that you played you played hard you played well or whatever it is you know that i think can be a nice nod to them as a competitor in in the same way we've been talking about the setting and the situation and we've hit on a couple of them with the higher level competitive the fnm i want to talk a little bit about if this is happening in your local play group um especially if he says a couple of people that it maybe is in his local play group um i would say that if you have a local play group and this is the situation being able to talk to them not in the moment but in between games or in between sessions is being very assertive as we've talked about before so we've hit a little bit on this i wanted to just briefly mention kind of different communication styles um and so there's the passive the assertive and the aggressive and we talked a lot about the midwest stereotype of the passive kind of i'm just gonna hold it in i'm just not gonna let other people see my emotions because that's not right you don't want them to know and you either you know develop ulcers or you end up yelling at people or then exploding <laughs> on them which is how the midwest gets that kind of passive aggressive because then you're just sarcastic at times because you're never actually dealing with the situation um 
so the assertive, the aggressive would just be telling them, you know, stop tilting or I'm not going to play with you. I don't have fun when we do that. The key being with aggressive, all you care about is your needs getting met. It doesn't even have to be angry. Then that's why I talked a little bit before we started the show that passive communication is actually the one most associated with anger because you're trying to stuff all these emotions in and you're internalizing and you're turning them towards yourself, which can lead Mm -hmm. to either an outward expression of anger or depression or that kind of getting guilt. Well, aggressiveness doesn't have to be angry. It's just caring about your needs and your emotions. So you you may use hostility, but it doesn't have to be angry. Yeah, I agree. So if we can learn a little bit, you know, with friends, it's assertiveness, which is telling them what their behavior, what you've noticed. And the key thing that I would tell people to do when you're doing this, assertiveness is kind of cool because this is the first time when you talk about communication that your goal is actually to use an emotion word in your statements. Like I actually write out scripts. I felt blank when blank happened. What I would like to see happen in the future is blank. It doesn't have to be that formal, but it can be when you're learning it. The key thing is you're not using that you language. You've been doing this. You've been causing our games to be this way, blah, blah, blah. It's I've been feeling or I've noticed that. And you focus on the person's behavior. It looks like when we're playing commander that at times, you know, it's just even being honest about like, you know, I, I noticed that when we played last week, when this happened, it really seemed to bother. So our next question comes to us uh, from two people. Two similar questions were asked. Uh, this is Zach. I'm going to pronounce it the German way. Leubner. That's at Zach Schwab at Zach underscore Schwab on Twitter. And then Will Jordan at Tuba1060. They both asked, how do I stop from being tilted? I think if you call back to your first episode in the psychographic discussion, it's a very relevant question. And Will asks a similar thing. What can you do to get off tilt once you recognize it? Those are good questions. Um, I, you know, I I still struggle with that, obviously. Um, I think for me, it just comes down to kind of taking myself out of the equation where it's like, so I, I I try to, I try to boil it down to what can I help because this is a game of variance. And so, you know, if I, if I had to mulligan to zero and couldn't find a bazaar, there was literally nothing I could do there. And so I feel like we tend to beat ourselves up, ourselves up over things we can't help where, you know, if your opponent finds that one copy of Graft Digger's Cage and they play it on turn one, what can you do? There's literally nothing you can do. Like, yeah, you can board in four nature's clans and hope to God you find it, but sometimes you just don't find it. And so just being able to free myself from those constraints has really really helped me of being able to look at the situation and say, is there anything I really could have done here or did they just have it? Um, Burn is a deck that I hate. I hate playing Burn. I hate a lot of Burn players. I just, you know, I hate losing to Burn, but sometimes Burn just has it. And so there was a while there where, you know, I would, I'd board in the three knot of the bones and I'd put up a really good fight. And that's not to say that I don't try, but sometimes it's just Burn. Sometimes Burn has it. And yeah, you played your collective brutality. Yeah, you did what you needed to do, but it's Burn. What can you do? And so just being able to free yourself from those constraints of just saying sometimes the deck just does what it came to do sometimes you did everything you could have done you boarded incorrectly or maybe you didn't board incorrectly but identifying the things that you could have actually helped and made a difference in and then also just identifying when they just have it and it's just variance and variance sometimes swings in your favor and sometimes it doesn't and just being able to identify the difference between the two um has really been big for me just knowing when to throw up your hands and be like what can you do like you, you, they just had it you know <laughs> um and i think that this gets into kind of this question of what we can and can't control is actually Mm -hmm. probably my biggest suggestion for how to work on on tilt if it's something that happens to you 
going along with what you said, Aaron, like paying attention to why you lost or did they have it? I think it's important. And I got this said to me by a judge friend early on when I was playing in San Diego, which was you also need to look at the games that you won. And I don't think people do enough of that. So they Mm -hmm. get tilted when they lose. I think they could potentially more because they're not realizing that when they win, they may still be making mistakes. Mm-hmm. And in order to get better, you need to know when you played a game, it doesn't matter that you won. How did you win? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've also found vocalizing my puns has been really good where I will, um, I'll be like, oh, I meant to play a land this turn. And then I'll write that down and I'll be like, forgot to play a land. Or it's like, oh, I should have, I should have dredged loam this turn. I write that down. And so a lot of times I will say it in a very neutral tone. I don't say it in any sort of, you know, upset tone or anything, but just being able to catch it when it happens. And then, you know, when I do feel like, you know, if, if I have lost, when I do start to feel that the, those bad feelings of, or just those feelings of, oh God, I lost, this feels terrible. Go ahead and look at that pad and be like, mm. Yeah, I I discarded to a conflagrate that wasn't there. I didn't fetch this thing. Like, yeah. And just being able to really look at that and kind of put it in perspective where it's like, you know, did they draw things they needed to? Yeah, but I also did six things I shouldn't have done either. And and that really helps out. And I think, although this is this is tough to, this might not be exactly the answer to the question, um, but a, a lot of what I play is, is commander and I play decks that I build mostly for flavor reasons i build them for you know to be really weird things that you know don't really work like i have a deck that i'm dreaming up where it makes all of my opponents make decisions i there i think there are no decisions in there for me it's just make my opponents make decisions and that could go really well that could go really poorly but i'm going to have an experience one way or another something's going to happen and i think mm-hmm. realizing too that that element of why do you play what you're playing is is part of it you know it, you know for me edh is about just doing weird stuff i i'm very much uh I, it's a timmy right yeah I, I i like having the experience i'm very much a timmy when it comes to the psychographic profiles i want something weird to happen i, I talked to zach a little bit um him and i had been messaging back and forth about this he mentioned this idea of it's important to realize why we play games at the heart of it we want to have fun I, I want to have fun. And I don't think of fun as a zero-sum game. I don't think of magic as a zero-sum game, even though I know that at the competitive levels, that's really what it is seen as. If I'm having fun, it's I want to have all the fun, which means I'm winning. But the, the key comes to tilt doesn't just happen. And Aaron's touched on this a little bit. Tilt is not just about play. It's not just about making mistakes. People can get tilted because they sit down and they're playing a dredge player and they've had a horrible experience and they hate playing against dredge. Mm -hmm. Or they get really tilted because somebody drops graveyard hate on them. Never. I have have no idea what you're talking about. So it's thinking about the idea that it's not really – it tilt has different aspects to it. We've been talking a lot about it and we've tried to hit on the different elements, competitive, casual, how it happens. I think it's recognizing why we play the game and how we play the game. Yeah, there's a misconception that tilt is always explosive anger, but tilt can be simply as as the kids like to say when you get shook, when you're like I'm shook. Yeah, that can be a thing uh, where like you know you uh, you know you're you're I know for me I was at Indian I was at SCG India a couple months ago I was four and one I was feeling really good about myself and then a single digit table I'm expecting you know affinity bring it Tron bring it yeah I'm ready you know what I I got I got to play against I played against Red White Nor and the Wary and I was just like what. What is, what is, whoa, this is, you're four and one, right? Like this is, this is the four and one area? Is this, am I, 
why are you playing this? I don't know what this is. I was shook. I was totally shook. Like I wasn't, I wasn't mad, but I was just completely thrown off my game. You know, I went into it with this expectation that I was going to be facing a certain kind of deck. And I went into it with this guy who loved his random brew. He happened to be doing really well with it. And I had no idea how to deal with him. I didn't, I didn't, it wasn't in my sideboard guide. It wasn't something I prepared for. And I was shook. I was shaken. I, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know, you know, I, I felt like I didn't know how to play my deck. And so Tilkin sometimes processes just being shook where you're like i don't know what's going on here so i was realizing i i I had put on here just like something less serious because i knew that our topic was going to be serious do we want to do another outro type fun question how about we go around uh, the table and say everyone's favorite graveyard hate sideboard card oh are you you serious (laughs) (laughs) and why oh god I officially deny knowing all of you. Mine is Leyline of the Void so that you can't have a graveyard, but I can. Okay. You know, I actually don't mind Leyline. Right. I, I wouldn't mind. I, I, I don't mind facing Leylines, because at least with Leylines, because the decks that play Leyline, you typically know which decks play Leyline, and at least you know what you're going to get. The hardest part about fighting Graveyard Hate is because there's just so much out there you never know what to prepare for, but there are just some decks where it's like, you know a Leyline's coming? Cool, I'll bring her. I'll bring, I know what to bring. This is fine. So, Aaron, are you, are you saying that Leyline is your favorite, or do you have a different one that you would... If you wouldn't say it's my favorite, I have been known to run ley lines myself. But, right. Um, no, okay. I, I wouldn't say. So if there's a hierarchy of like graveyard hate, I care about versus like, mm, it's tricky. She's getting very political about this too. Notice the careful words. Like I wouldn't say favorite. Yeah. Yeah. This is this is an interesting. This is like Aaron being bridled. She's kind of like, and not in a good way. Appropriate. <laughs> oh, see, I don't. I don't really play formats with sideboards i just play commander good man good but you're, are you that wait a minute are you the guy who plays leyline and commander because no no <laughs> to be fair i think people underplay graveyard hate and commander yeah no i've uh, heard that before actually someone else was saying that on twitter too i, I guess i would have to say bajuka because i play a lot of land centric decks and that's that's a great toolbox did i ever tell you about the time i saw this cute guy streaming and like so there was this cute guy streaming lands one day and i i didn't know what he was playing and uh i just saw the thumbnail and i was like oh hey cute guy streaming let's see what he's playing and the minute i tune in he's like wasteland bizarre and then the person bizarres in response and then he plays a bog and i was like "Mm -mm, nope close out the window (laughs) nope (laughs) some people don't want to date smokers some people don't want hair on the back i don't want someone who does that just that maybe here's a question that we can go out on that is a little more fun for you manalist dredge super awesome or crazy awesome so when i first started playing dredge i used to look at manalist as sort of like you know, the single, the single person at a wedding or you make them sit at the kids table. You know, I used to think kind of, I, I didn't really have a great opinion of it, but I, I've actually started playing Manalist Dredge within the past year. I do think it's quite strong in certain metagames, particularly in Legacy. You know, if Legacy is going to be a format of Wastelands and counter spells, and you're not casting spells or play lands, it's a great way to sort of play around that. So I've actually gained a lot more respect for Manalist Dredge. Um, I've putzed around with it myself in different metagames. Um, I do think it's quite fun now with a, with a field full of blue decks. And so, you know, the only real graveyard hate that people are running in Legacy is it's either four ley lines or four surgicals. That's really all people are doing right now because of Reanimator. And so, you know, surgical really doesn't matter much to um, Manalist because Manalist is so explosive, or it can be, and you're running Street Race anyways. And so, um, I have a lot of respect for Manalist. Um, I I don't feel quite competent myself with it, but I've come a long way than when I first started. Res before I wouldn't even consider it, and now I think it's it's very respectable. I was gonna say if we go scrub her uh, Twitter feed, I. 
I can find us some tweets about Manalist Dredge that are. <laughs> <laughs> but I've, I actually really like it now. And Maybe I not. Meta games able to be posted in the show notes or in the description of this episode i have come a long way i i it shows all about growth i have grown and i respect i respect manalist now so. i don't think we could top that i think we're done for the day with that like i erin is right she is much better at transitioning than we are <laughs> that's our show you can find Aaron Campbell on Twitter at Original Estrus. That's Original O-E-S-T-R-U-S. And you can find her on her own podcast, The Magic Mike's Podcast. That's at Magic M-I-C-S Cast on Twitter. The show can be found on Twitter at Goblin Lore Pod, or you can email us any questions, comments, or concerns at GoblinLorePodcast at gmail.com. Joe Redman can be found on Twitter at Findhorn. That's F-Y-N-D Horn. Hobbs Q can be found at Hobbs Q. And Alex Newman can be found at Alexander New M. Goblin Lore is a member of the Geek Therapy Network. Geek Therapy celebrates how geek culture can save the world through podcasts, videos, blog posts, community outreach, education, and convention appearances. It's a network of like-minded creators who believe that all different facets of nerd culture are important to understanding how our minds and communities work. Check them out at geektherapy.com or at geektherapy on Twitter. Thank you all for listening, and remember... Goblins, like snowflakes, are only dangerous in numbers.